We've been reading uh, vignettes of the coming of Jesus into the world, and it's an amazing part of the story, the proclamation. Eventually, the, uh, the disciples came to the point where they adopted the word gospel, that this is at the heart of what the message is about. I want to read a, a text, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. About that time... Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to, when it says up to Bethlehem, he's actually traveling south, but he's climbing in elevation because where he is in, in down by the Galilee is one of the lowest places on the face of the earth. And he's climbing up to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, which is a suburb. Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. That's the story. It took the gospel writers, it took the New Testament writers a while to figure out what the story was. Paul was one of the first writers and he mentioned that merely Jesus was born of a woman. And then the gospel writers of Matthew and Mark had a thing or two to say. And finally, when Luke came along, enough time for the story to mature came to be. And he wrote about this with great detail. John goes even a step further with another reading itself. And then the New Testament just blossoms with this story of the Christ who came into the world. History is interested in writing down all the facts, and maybe they were driven by this idea, but as we know, history is not a, always a single story. It's more or less official until it's not, and then it has to be revised. Then what happens? Well, we have to learn the new story. Then there's memory, of course. All of us have memory. You, you're filled, I think we're filled up to the brim with stories of things that have happened in life from childhood all the way up to the current moment. You are full of stories and there's memory that's attached with that and that's not always the best way of recalling factual data, is it? When I get together with my brothers, we recall something that we all three experience and often there are varieties of ways to interpret what actually happened. Well, this, the memory is the way that the story exists. People thought and felt about the facts as they were being established and being understood. It's recalling what happened, and it's important to treasure the story inside where our memory holds the story. Memories sometimes ask us to play a game called Remember When? Do you ever play this with your family or your friends, maybe your childhood friends at a high school reunion? No telling when you do this, this game of remember when. Well, let's try it. 
Remember when you were outside playing in the snow with your dad and you threw a snowball that hit him smack in the face, right here in the center of the face? You don't remember that? This is one of the blessed memories of my son when he was about seven. He had a great arm, and I turned and looked, and boom, there it was, and he fell down laughing in the snow. It was the best, happiest moment in his life and continues to nurture him. (laughs) How about this? In this very room, you remember a few summers ago when we had vacation Bible school and the place was jam-packed with kids wearing cool t-shirts about vacation Bible school and they danced and they sang like they were crazy. Remember that? Some of you do. Or do you remember when you traveled to another part of the country with a group of people from our church so that you might be part of a team that's sent out to care for others, to share food, and maybe clothing, and maybe to rehab the place where people are worshiping together because they have very few resources? Do you remember that? The time that you went, you made great friends in the mission trip. Or maybe you remember... Uh, the friendships that were created. Maybe even today you get together and you occasionally recall together the meaning of that time, that one single week that you gave of yourself and your friendships deepened. Or maybe you remember in worship when you came to some transforming moment, some crucial life-changing crossroads in your life. Remember that? You made a decision that made a difference. Often we like to read the Bible as if it's history. Facts about this or that or who did this or who said what and where they went and what they did. But that's not the way the Bible wishes to be heard and understood. The Bible wishes that we would, we would uh, read it like it was memory. To enter into the story, I like to suggest in worship that when you're here and a text is read, that you visualize yourself inside the text as it's being read. You visualize yourself sitting there and observing and watching what is going on. Well, how is it that we remember things that are two, maybe 3,000 years old as if it just happened? I think that's the way the Bible invites us to listen to the stories. There's your memory, there's my memory, and there's the memory that we all hold in our minds. And maybe the birth of Jesus is that very, very simple memory. It's a bigger memory than your memory or mine. It's actually bigger than the whole of us who have memory about the birth of Jesus There are other parts of the world that hear that story and experience it as memory, maybe in different ways because of culture or language or families. And take a look around all these good folks that are here and imagine each one of them having their own memory, just like you. Imagine all of our memories together, yours, mine, theirs and know that all that collective memory is very very powerful and imagination is the power to the story of remembrance 
So let's play Remember When with the birth of Jesus. Remember when Mary and Joseph were traveling south, climbing up to Bethlehem, and when they got there, there was no place to stay? Remember that? Remember the owner of the inn coming out to the door and to tell them that the only place he had was out in the barn, out in the shed, where the sheep were stored. And, and the hay was there. And it was a cold night. It gets cold in Bethlehem this time of year. Imagine that they've come to the only place that had space and hospitality. Remember that? Remember when the baby was born and the angels sang in the heavens. You can almost hear them. It's as if something is going on on this cold, lonely night and the angels cannot help themselves and they break out into song. And remember the only ones who actually heard this were the shepherds who were out at night watching their sheep. Remember that? Remember it was a star that led them from that point and carried them through the countryside finally to Bethlehem and to the place where this baby had been born in a little village called Bethlehem. Remember? On Christmas Eve, we gather like we too have been drawn to the stable as if we ourselves have heard the angels singing. We think about that, of what it would mean for us to follow the voices and to follow the star as it leads us to this place. We come to this place where Jesus came into the world, an innocent little baby born in poverty to parents who were doing what they could to take care of themselves and this new little baby boy who was born, who would grow up to save the world. Remember when is how we think about this story and all the other stories in the Bible. We, we assume that we can find ourselves in these stories, and we do, of this one who came into the world in a stable, surrounded by animals, completely out of sight to the important events of the day. Let's don't ever forget. History will tell this story in one way or another, and our memories will shine a light on exactly what really did happen. We remember and we know this event continues to reverberate in our hearts. Amen. Tonight we draw together and we draw upon sacred memory. This is specifically the way Jesus wanted us to think about this moment at the table, that we think about it in sacred memory. Every time we gather at the table of the Lord, we're invited to remember. There's the memory of the night in which this meal was first served. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. And as observant Jews, they were a part of the, the cultural and the religious festivities. And they booked a room. They hired a room in which they could come together and they could share a meal, the Passover meal, and to be together in the room for that very purpose. All good so far, we might say. But Jesus added to this feast of remembrance and broke a loaf of un leavened bread and poured a cup of wine for them to all share. 
In that moment, he added a new layer of meaning to the memory of the historic symbols of the bread and the wine. And he admonished us, do this in remembrance of me. It's interesting that the words and the symbolism of that time took the next three centuries for the first church to finally consolidate its memory together and to incorporate this into their worship. It took a while. It didn't just flip over one week to the next with a full-blown communion experience. It took the church a while to think and to reflect and to hold these things in their heart and then to begin to treasure them. John Claypool says, Our time at the table of remembrance is like that moment in a shared meal that he calls pass the biscuits time. You have to be maybe from the South to really understand the spiritual significance of that moment at a family gathering when the biscuits are finally lifted up above the table and passed around and everyone gets one. Everyone celebrates the pass the biscuits moment. A narrative understanding of memory helps us tell our stories to one another as expression of our community. When we gather together, it's important for us to think about our stories, to think about the faith that we're living, to think about our experiences. Some of them are transcendent and wonderful and others of them are very painful and full of sorrow. The mantra for this method is this. Gather the people, break the bread, and tell the stories. That's what we're called to do at the table. When Jesus came to this moment in the Passover celebration, he took the bread. And he broke it. I invite you in this moment to take the bread out of your your little COVID communion container and to remember, take this and eat, Jesus said. But that wasn't all. Jesus poured out a cup, a goblet perhaps, and poured into it wine and held it before them and said, take and drink, all of you. Our experience of communion is meant to be exactly that, that we're invited to gather the people, and we're invited to break the bread and to pour the cup, and we're invited to tell the stories to one another, and we give thanks. Join with me in prayer, would you? Gracious God, you have brought us to this space and this time and this moment. And it feels awfully good to be here together as the people of God. Thank you for this community of faithful followers who are here. And for our celebration together of the goodness of God's love in the world. The kind of love that reaches out to all of us and includes all of us in the kingdom of God. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus, whom we celebrate his birth in the world and his purpose in the world, and give thanks to God for all of these things. 
In Christ's name, amen.